six-yard attempt here with two seconds to go in the half. Burkic unloads, boy. This would have been good from 66. Oh, my goodness. Sooners and Catamounts, Saturday night, pay-per-view television. If you can't get in the stadium, Oklahoma looking to go 2-0 on the season. Catamounts looking for that first win, and you just kind of get the feeling. I mean, it's, it's kind of common knowledge that they're not – it's not happening Saturday. This will not be an upset of epic proportions like last week almost was, but still, it's worth talking about. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofett along with Rich Cray and Rich, I, I haven't changed my opinion on this game from what I said last week after Tulane. And that when you look at the box score, you look at the number of tackles, you look at the yardage allowed, you look at the yardage gained, you look at the final score, really the indicator of how much of an improvement Oklahoma made from week one to week two isn't going to be told on any of those stats. To me, I'm looking at X's and O's. I'm looking at a, a clean play. I mean, can you can you not jump off sides? Do you know the snap count? Are, are you sucking in on when, when the motion comes your way instead of fanning out i mean you look back at that play i, I put it on the uh on our recap last week at heartland sports that anytime you have three guys moving inside when the motion's coming your way th that's not i promise you it's not being coached that way so those are the type of things i'm looking for on saturday night in this game as opposed to what the actual final score is going to be <laughs> the only thing i can do is laugh at this point in time because when we and I know we're going to get there, Matt, as we begin to talk about what we're looking for offensively as well as what we're looking for defensively. It is just that. And I think there's an overwhelming sense of those needing to be a priority from those in the fan base, from those who watched what was taking place on Saturday. And I get that it's easy to get caught up in the final score and what the scoreboard says and the coaches are going to say something entirely different they're looking for that progress they're looking for these individuals to solidify themselves more importantly to separate themselves from uh the competition and those who are listed on the depth chart behind them when when we look at this game it's just not a perspective that you and i are going to take because again we're not in that coach's room and we don't have the difficulty in terms of the task of saying hey uh we're we're going to be the ones who are in charge of um setting that depth chart and deciding who's going to be a starter or not yeah it's interesting that you bring up the depth chart because from week one to week two it, there's been a little bit of change there you know week one we we kind of made fun of the all the uh or positions you know starting running back eric gray or kennedy brooks that situation was listed 20 times in oklahoma's week one depth chart it's down to 15 now so you're you're making some progress as far as solidifying some of the guys i i find it interesting though that really the offensive line depth chart is exactly identical to what we saw um, in, in week one. In fact, Lincoln Riley said they played seven offensive linemen in week one. They're probably going to play eight in week two, trying to find guys. So uh, to me, when I don't see that they've really made the progress that they wanted to make in solidifying that starting five. And I said going into the Tulane game that you really need to have that, that set before Nebraska, not because Nebraska is some powerhouse coming in here, but because that gives you one game to get everything in motion and everybody on the field to play fluid 
with your set five before you start against West Virginia in Big 12 play the next week. But I did find it interesting that they're still very much working on the offensive line. Two guys that were not available in week one, according to Lincoln Riley, will be available on Saturday. And both guys should be contributors in one way or another. On the defensive side of the ball, Lincoln Riley says Jordan Kelly is good to go. And Jordan Kelly is um, listed as the backup to Perry on Winfrey, Jordan Kelly, or Coy Robertson, and then another guy that uh, people kind of reached out to us to try to find out what was going on. Drake Stoops is going to be available. He's the backup. Uh, well, it's Marvin Mims or Drake Stoops um, in that um, in that wide receiver position. And and, and let's let's be honest. Uh, I don't. I, again, with all I said this last week, with all due respect to Drake Stoops, there's no there's no question here. It's Marvin Mims, uh, but Drake Stoops is still a key a key player on this offense. I, I did find it interesting though, also on the offensive side of the ball, Rich, that last week, Michael Woods was listed as the starter at the Z receiver, but Mario Williams was impressive enough, I guess, to the coaches that this week it's the Z receiver is Michael Woods or Mario Williams. So there, there are some things going on as they're trying to tweak this team and put things together to make the run through big 12 play. But um, it looks like outside of Theo Weiss, um, this, this team looks mostly healthy going into the weekend. I'm not going to disagree with you in terms of the major contributors guys. You've already mentioned Jordan Kelly, who had a, a bit of a breakout season for himself last year and started to put a lot of these doubters uh, behind him and prove uh, what he's capable on the field, making him available. Once again, I, I definitely think is not only going, going to bolster what I've considered to be the best defensive line in this conference, possibly competing for that title in the country, but it's going to add some depth. If something were to happen, it's going to add another player to that rotation so that these individuals stay a little bit more fresh throughout the game and can conti continue that that pursuit that onslaught in the backfield of whether it's a just a ball carrier or it's that quarterback there are a couple of injuries Matt that I again just don't think there are a couple of undisclosed situations that are taking place but I don't I don't see them having any effect on this game names like Kendall uh, Kendall Dennis defensive back undis undisclosed saying that he's dealing with an injury he's Questionable for Saturday, Nathan Rollins-Kabong is another one of those individuals defensive end who's bothered by what is labeled as an undefined ailment. Not sure if we'll see him on Saturday either. I know that this is a team that is deep at that defensive line position, as we've already mentioned, but there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of young bodies who would love to get some experience. And so deep or late in this game, those are a couple of names that you might expect to see on uh on the field but it's just it, it's we're not sure if it's gonna happen or not yeah um you're, you're right and um i mean again i think when you get that far down on the depth chart though uh, it's what i think it's it, what you're saying is not that those guys don't matter but they they really don't affect the schematics of things mm -hmm. uh as, as you would if it is um let's say an eric gray or something like that 
Um, when you look at Oklahoma's offense against this Western Carolina defense, going going back in, into last week's game, um, Western Carolina lost their season opener uh, to Eastern Kentucky by a final score of uh, what was that score? I, I I just had it here and I closed out my screen. Um, it was a three point game. Yeah, thirty one twenty eight. Yeah, thank you. Um, the the uh, the Catamounts on defense they they gave up one hundred and twenty three rushing yards, two hundred. 38 yards through the air. Western Kentucky averaged 11.9 yards per completion. Uh, last week, I, I said against um, against Tulane, Oklahoma should really pass to run. I, I don't agree with that this week going in. I, I think you had some issues getting your your push on your on your running plays. You had issues with Eric Gray only averaging three yards a carry, really looking ineffective going between the tackles. Kennedy Brooks looked solid, but to to me, this is a game where you start working on your your path, your run blocking schemes, and you really just kind of whatever kinks are there because you know the talent is there with this group. You know Eric Gray is talented. You know these five linemen that they have on the field at any given time. They're talented offensive linemen, but there's something they're just not cohesive. This is where you start working that out, in my opinion. And so I I don't know that it's going to be like a. A 60 40 run pass, but I do think it's going to be closer to 50 50 than what it typically would be because I just feel like they've got to work some things out. And to me, I, I think when, when you look at this, uh, just a talent level alone on the field and, and the way they, they looked good, Lincoln Riley said this in his weekly press conference that the pass protection was really, really good. And, um, and I, I don't see that getting any worse against a team like Western Carolina, but I, if you're going to make this a glorified scrimmage, which let's be honest, that's what it is. You're paying this team to come in and take a beating. Then you're just, you got to run the ball at them. You've got to work that out because when you, when you come off the field against Tulane, having won by five points, you look at the two turnovers by your quarterback and you look at the inefficient uh, performance by one of your running backs. And I think that's, I mean, you got to get that fixed. And and how do you get that fixed? Well, you work on it in practice and then you take what you've learned in practice and you put that on the field against another opponent. And even though Western Carolina is an opponent that is substandard as far as the level that you play on, it still gives you a chance to, to practice these things against a different color jersey. Yeah, I think out of the gate, Matt, you're absolutely right. We're talking about consistency, really solidifying things on that offensive line narrowing down the rotation, pinning down the starters and not having that or moniker listed next to any of these names as you move into the Nebraska game, as you move into conference play. But more importantly for me is I think Oklahoma does start out running the ball. One, it helps shorten the game. It helps, it helps these players kind of find themselves in a groove throughout the game and establishes the physicality that we want to see from this Oklahoma team moving forward. But the second thing that I'm, I'm looking at when you run the ball is there's not a lot of depth there, at least from the scholarship standpoint. And this is a game where I think you are going to play three running backs and you're really going to try to have this delineation between who's number three on that depth chart versus who's number four on that depth chart. And when you're handing it to um, Spencer Rattler under center or out of the shotgun more times or more often than not, you don't really get enough chances 
to make that delineation, to see those differences and see the strengths and potentially the weaknesses of some of these running backs that exist on the depth chart behind an Eric Gray and behind a Kennedy Brooks, Matt, because we've already said that we do believe Kennedy Brooks. And I agreed with you in our recap on Sunday is that Kennedy Brooks will start this game. It will not be Eric Gray based upon what we saw in the season opener, based upon what we saw in week one, week two, they're going to, they're going to change that. But again, the priority here for me is sorting out that three and the four. And it's it's making this offensive line prove that they can open up these gaps. But more importantly, it's proved that they can be the more physical of the two in the trenches. Well, I'm going to give you the four running backs. This is my predicted order. Now, keep in mind, the depth chart still says Eric Gray or Kennedy Brooks for this game. But Kennedy Brooks definitely was the most effective of the two running backs in terms of running the ball, Eric Gray, that, that's not, I mean, we have talked about the inefficientness of the three yards per carry, but let's also not overlook what he brings to the table as far as set and what the defense, how the, the defense is going to react differently to Eric Gray being on the field than they are Kennedy Brooks being on the field. So there is something to that when we're talking about who's the first guy on the field and who's the second guy on the field. Now, if they, if they are going to go with a run heavy set, which I think they should then that should be Kennedy Brooks. But if you want to try to keep this defense off balance, um, then you're going to go with Eric Gray. But again, if I'm Bill Biedenboe, I'm like, Lincoln, tell him what we're going to do, and then let's try to do it. And by telling him what you're going to do is by putting Kennedy Brooks on the field first with the offense. And then I think Jaden Knowles and then Todd Hudson in that order. I I think Jaden Knowles, when you when you look at those, those three and four guys – I mean, there, there's probably equal talent there, but I think Jaden Knowles is a little bit bigger of a back, about 15 pounds on Todd Hudson, and he's got a year of experience on Todd Hudson. So that's how I would rate that out. So, Rich, we're talking about offensive keys to this game. To me, again, I'm, I'm going to go back and reset this conversation and tell you my very first offensive key to Oklahoma on Saturday against Western Carolina is just run the ball. Yeah, and like I said, I'm in the same boat with you here. It's taking a lot of the pressure off of Spencer Rattler this week. It's handing the ball off again, more often than not. I would love to see this one be more in the realm of 60% running to 40% throwing. And when, when I give you those numbers, I'm expecting 20 to 24 passing attempts mm -hmm. to about 35 rushing attempts. I don't think this is a, a game where Oklahoma's running 60 to 70 plays. I do think it's underneath that. And it is closer to that 50 mark to the 55 mark. As you get into garbage time, we know that the number of running place is going to balloon up. And the truth of the matter, Matt, you've already hit this nail on the head. This is not a game that Oklahoma should find themselves coming down to the wire on. This should right. be a game that Oklahoma is in control from start to finish. There should be no lead changes, but the unexpected does happen. And it, it does bring up some questions for me because what we saw was Oklahoma more specifically Spencer Rattler at the quarterback position, taking some chances and throwing that ball into coverage where it was intercepted. We know last year what happened with Spencer Rattler in that Texas game. Let, let's just say the first five games of the season, everyone pinpoint the, pinpoints the Texas game as that turning point for him. But Spencer Rattler, for lack of a better term, was turnover prone right. in his first several starts of the season. I've seen comments here and there, whether that's social media, whether that's message boards, saying that this is the Spencer Rattler that, that we expect because of what took place in 2020 in his first year as the starter 
although you do think there's progression there, you know what you're getting with Spencer Rattler. That was kind of the consensus of what people were vocalizing in these different platforms and through these various avenues. But the truth of the matter is, I, I, I think there's a very short leash, like what we saw at Texas, or I guess it wasn't at Texas. I can't remember if that one was a home game or not. Let's be honest here. <laughs> when it's Oklahoma, a neutral field. I think when they Oklahoma were the home team Te- last yeah. year, but it doesn't when, really matter. When they played in the Red River rivalry, we saw that change. We saw Spencer Rattler mm-hmm. yanked from the game and replaced, and the demeanor changed completely. It was very businesslike, and I think that's what I'm expecting going forward um, is no mistakes from the quarterback position. Yeah. So, yes, run the ball, take the pressure off of Spencer Rattler at that quarterback position. Don't ask him to throw more than he really needs to. Uh, but at the same time is when you are asking him to throw court, uh, Spencer Rattler needs to show these signs of improvement and that he's not, not accident prone, if you will, in throwing these turnovers or coughing the ball up on the ground, because we do know he likes to run and we do know he's a very capable passer when he's on the move. Well, keep in mind two things on this. No, number one, I do think you get the the legitimate real Oklahoma offense for the first quarter to quarter and a half of this game. And then it gets into working more on the, on the issues that really kind of reared up uh, in against Tulane. And so I think for the first 15 to 25 minutes of this game, you're going to see Oklahoma just kind of put the, the pedal to the metal here offensively because they do need to open things up. They need they part of fixing those hiccups is, is running that play. And then I think midway through the second half, a second quarter is when it begins to turn more into, okay, now that's, that's focused specifically on this issue we had. And you may see them run the same play two or three times in a row, just to make mm-hmm. sure that they're getting the, the look that they need off of that. It turns into a scrimmage at that point. But the second thing to keep in mind is, is that Lincoln Riley doesn't have Tanner Mordecai at his disposal anymore. And if you're, you're talking about that Red River rivalry benching that Spencer Rattler went through in the first half last season, he put Tanner Mordecai in. And Tanner Mordecai is a very capable quarterback. If you don't believe me, go look at his stats last week uh, for SMU, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Lincoln Riley had a lot of trust <laughs> in in Tanner Mordecai, and Tanner Mordecai performed well in that in that situation. He doesn't have that accessible to him. So he needs Spencer Rattler to work this out on his own before West Virginia comes to town and you start conference play. And I'm not, I'm not circling the Mountaineers as some big, big contest that Oklahoma has uh, circled on their schedule, but that game does mark the beginning of conference play. And so all of this comes around to bringing me what you said is in what I'm saying, bringing me to my second point with this offense is, Protect the football and play clean. Protect the football and act like you know what you're supposed to be doing on any given play. And and that's what you that's to me again going back to the very beginning of this podcast. That's where you see how much improvement this team has made. Not if they score five touchdowns in in the first 30 minutes of the game, but how do they score those five touchdowns? Are there offsides penalties? Um, are, are there receivers running the wrong route and Spencer Rattler's throwing inside and they're going outside? Um, is Rattler trying to force things to just try to make things happen on his own physical ability? Those are all the kind of things that we're talking about that have to get cleaned up. So run the ball. Prove you can do that and then clean up all the slop that you had against Tulane because of my second point. Yeah. Give me your third one then. It's just stay healthy. I mean, you, these games, you're, you're buying a win. 
you're bringing a team in because you don't want to beat yourself up anymore in practice, but you needed, you need to bring the level of physicality a, a higher than what you do in practice. And so you're, you're paying a team to come in, keep these guys healthy. When it's, when it's time, when you've seen what you need to see, see, then you start moving down that depth chart and working out the kinks. You had 20 oars in week one, you got 15 oars in week two. Can we cut that by another five before the Nebraska game? garbage times where we're going to get to learn about all that, but you got to keep those, those ones, those guys that are definitely your ones, you got to keep them healthy and you can't afford to lose an Eric Gray or a Kennedy Brooks in a game like this. I'm going to say that that's of utmost importance each in every week. I do feel it's a given. It's something we don't talk about probably enough when it comes to the game of football and when it comes to the Oklahoma Sooners and how they've had some of their hopes dashed in the past because of injury. So it's a very good point that you bring up. I, I want to hit on one thing that I've already mentioned, um, and that is the physicality, but with inside of that physicality, I also want Oklahoma, when it comes to the passing game, Matt, I said, I, I I'm expecting that 60, 40 split there, but I, I want them to share. I want them to spread the ball. And I think that you have a lot of success. If you game plan to target numerous receivers that you're giving Mario Williams that opportunity as the, the primary target, or you're going out wide and you're looking at a Jaden Hazelwood at the corner and you're making him the number one target on that play, or you're looking at a, a Mike Woods and you want to go deep and you want to see if you can get him behind the defense. So you're making him that number one target. I want to see them share the ball and, and let the, these guys really live into the reputations that they have had. Why? Because I think it builds confidence moving forward. And I think it gives them this jolt to play at the level that we as fans have come to expect from this offense and from this group of receivers. Yeah, absolutely. So give me, um, give me your guy. Who, who's your offensive key that you're, um, that you're going to be watching on Saturday? Can, can we go with Spencer Rattler this week? <laughs> I mean, I, I think we need, I, he should be on the table after mm -hmm. last week, but he's not going to be mine, but he should be on the table. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and that's an obvious and an easy pick. I was really, when, when sitting down and thinking about this question, I really was leaning heavily towards the offensive line mm -hmm. and more specifically it's because of the penalties that we saw. I can't explain those away. There's no reasoning for those. And as you mentioned, I, I think you put this eloquently enough is that there's 11 players on the field who know the snap count, right? You should not be the one jumping off sides. So when we look at the offensive line, I think as a unit and that cohesiveness, I, I do say that they are going to determine just how successful this offense is on Saturday. And the only way that they're going to hinder it is by making sloppy mistakes, jumping off sides, moving a little bit too early, or just completely failing to do what's been asked of them and cover that assignment. Yeah, that's good. So I'm going to go with Eric Gray. Uh, for many of the same reasons you went with the offensive line, you know, people tried to excuse Eric Gray's subpar performance by saying, you know, the offensive line had struggles. Well, I'm sorry, but Kennedy Brooks ran behind the exact same offensive line. And so he averaged 6.4 yards per carry where Eric Gray only averaged three. I, I need to see more out of Eric Gray. I need, I, I mean, it's first game in the Sooner uniform. I get it. I mean, I'm not coming down on the guy. I just want him to have the opportunity to prove that he's better than that. And this is where he gets to do that. I, I think he should be at least twice of what he averaged against Tulane and, um, and maybe find the end zone as well, really kind of see some of the explosiveness that we know he has. And so he's the guy I'm going to be watching more so than any other player. 
I loved what I saw out of Mario Williams last week. I love the fact that um, he's kind of challenging Mike Woods. Mike Woods is still going to be the starter there, but Mario Williams, I think, has solidified himself a spot in this rotation. I'm curious to see what Drake Stoops does. When he comes in, who is he taking snaps away from? I don't think it's going to be Mario Williams, though. I think it's going to be some of the other younger guys like Brian Darby that we mentioned uh, last week that were pleasant surprises. I think I think they're the ones who are going to suffer from Drake Stoops coming back. But, I mean, that's okay because Drake Stoops definitely is a star um, and has the ability to make that clutch catch, you know, go back again uh, time after time. He's done that. But I think the most notable one is is the Texas game last year. But all that said, for me, it comes down to I want to see what does Eric Gray do on any given snap. I, his his blocking looked decent last week. It just didn't hit the hole with the with the type of, of, of ferociousness that I think a guy needs to to get through that gap where we saw Kennedy Brooks able to exploit that. I want to see Eric Gray begin to exploit those things as well. So that's my guy. You You've got the offensive line. I've got Eric Gray. Is that correct? Yep. All right, so give me your bold prediction with this offense. What's going to happen? <laughs> um, man, I, I think there's a number of things that can happen here with this offense and with the caliber of player, with the level of talent that exists on this this uh, offense. But I really wanted to because you know I've centered in really on these wide receivers, and I've kind of centered in on this offensive line. I wanted to look at the receivers. And say that even though we know what we have in Marvin Mims and he consistently makes himself available, what we saw in week one was the ability to break tackles. It was the ability to gain yardage after making initial contact. But I am going to throw out this bold prediction and say that he is not going to be the, the leading receiver this week, but instead it will be the freshman Mario Williams. Wow. Okay. You've already mentioned it, Matt. He's listed as an or he's clearly making a move up this list and he's becoming a, a focal point for or potentially a focal point for this season but certainly setting him up himself up as a focal point for years to come and when you look at a guy who's who wants that experience who's looking to play I think he shines this week and I think he's going to number one play more snaps than some of these other receivers whether they're listed at the same position above him or whether they're listed at other positions and playing side by side with him. Mario Williams is that guy I see playing from, from the first quarter all the way through to the fourth quarter, which is why I think he leads this team in receiving yards come Saturday. Okay. So you're going with your bold prediction for an individual player, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I, I may have misunderstood the assignment because my bold prediction here uh, with the offense is that this offense on Saturday night will produce two 100 yard rushers and two 100 yard receivers. Whoa. So that's where I'm going. That, that you one's you, really bold. 400 yards accounted <laughs> by four different players. That's, that's my bold mm -hmm. prediction for Oklahoma's offense okay. on Saturday night. Um, let's let, let's switch sides of the ball and go, go defensively. Tell me some of your defensive keys. What are you looking for here? Yeah. Defensively, Matt, what I know is uh, WCU is going to bring a quality receiver despite the inexperience that exists. One thing I think we need to get out of the way, because we haven't even mentioned this yet, is that the Catamounts are playing their eighth game in the year of 2021. Right. So it's, it's not like they haven't played together. It's not like they don't have experience as a team, but the, the receiver they're bringing, Raphael Williams, eight receptions, 122 yards, 
last week for WCU. He's a guy who's an extremely good route runner. And so when we begin to look at this defense, what we saw from last week was rotations became a little bit of a concern as these receivers were running down the sideline unopposed, no one near them, no one around them, no one to make a play, no one to knock the ball out and no one to make a tackle. If a guy like Williams gets in himself in a similar situation to what we saw last week mm -hmm. with the secondary, he's going to make them pay. I think he's got a little bit more speed than the individuals that were breaking free for two lane. So really I I'm looking at this defense and I'm looking at the secondary and saying that the communication must improve and we must see these rotations begin to work themselves out. And I'm not talking about who's subbing in. I'm talking about on the field when you're dropping into coverage and who you're releasing to. Yeah, that, that's a good point. The Catamounts had um, 226 yards on the ground last week in a losing effort, 275 through the air. They're, they're fairly balanced with what they do uh, on offense. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go a different route with my first defensive key, which is I've always said this. If you're, if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, um, it, when you, when you face a balanced offensive attack, the first thing you want to do is take something away, make them unbalanced. And so I think it becomes a natural tendency with this, with this defense, particularly the, the front seven that Oklahoma has, is you focus on taking away the run. And you can't let the quarterback loose. Now, you, you talked about the spring season. Now, Rogan Wells wasn't on this team during the spring season, but he, he's on the team now. And he threw for 275 yards, and then he was the second leading rusher, eight carries for 72 yards last Saturday. So when you're talking about keeping, when you're talking about this running attack and kind of shutting it down, forcing them to, to into second, third and long situations, part of that is going to be, again, we're looking at containment with Rogan Wells. Don't let him outside. So it's going to be very similar to what I recommended last week is that you, you don't really crash with those, with those rushers, with those defensive ends or the, the, the Jack guy that, that rush backer, you, you don't really crash with them. You contain with them. And then you bring Jalen Redmond, Perry and Winfrey, Josh Ellison, whoever you, you bring them up the middle. And, and that's where your pressure comes from to shut down this running game. And so while I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying as particularly in that secondary, in terms of communication and knowing where you're going, I already brought that up once in the podcast. So, you know, I want to see what they do with motion because if, if Western Carolina, if they watched film, they're going to do plays with guys in motion. I mean, you, you can't not, you, mm -hmm. you're like, did you see that? We sent a guy in motion to the left and three guys on that side of the defense sucked inside and left our motion man wide open for a touchdown. If you see that on film, you're going to at least make them prove to you that they've worked on that. And so I think all that comes into play with the communication that you're talking about. But I'm talking about an X and O standpoint. The very first thing I want to do is I want to take a balanced offensive attack and I want to knock them off balance by taking something away. And this defense is the skill set is there automatically for them to take away the running game. Give us, give me your number two. Well, my number we're just going to trade blows here. Okay. Sure. So, so number one, two, two for you, <laughs> then I'll jump in with two and three. All right. So my, my number two is going to be the turnover. Keep the turnovers going is, uh, you know, you got three fumble recovers last week. Uh, let's get some interceptions. Rogan Wells threw two interceptions last week in the season opener. Let's see if he'll throw a couple, uh, for Oklahoma's defensive backs to come down with Billy Bowman almost had one against mm -hmm. Tulane, but he didn't, didn't quite. The, I loved all the jokes uh, on Twitter about how Jada Coleman would have caught that. But, um, 
but it, it was almost there for Billy. <laughs> it was an incredible go back and watch that play because he did take some heat for not yeah. getting the interception, but just go back and look at the athleticism of where that ball was intended to go and how high he quote climbed the ladder right. to, to break it up. Um, so incredibly athletic play, but I want to see, I want to see that continue three, three turnovers in week one. Can you get me at least two in week two? So, so shut down the running game, take advantage of those opportunities to get turnovers is my second thing. Yeah. I said for the second one, Matt, it was getting to the quarterback, but also keeping containment piggybacking yeah. a little bit of what you've said here previously is that we know Rogan Wells is a capable, not only a thrower, but also a runner. You've mentioned the passing yards. I don't know that you mentioned that he racked up 75 yards before taking a sack, 75 yards on seven rushes in that game. And that includes a touchdown mm -hmm. as well. So I do believe that as this team moves forward, WCU is going to work in some design quarterback runs to test this Oklahoma defense. And when we look at that, we know I've said this before, historically, Oklahoma struggled with running quarterbacks that is slowly dissipating. And those concerns are, are, are not as strong as they once were. And it's largely because of the talent. It's because of the schematics that they're running on that defensive line. But I know we are going to ask these defensive ends to once again, play contain, but also at times get, get pressure on the quarterback. And so once again, I find myself echoing those sentiments about what we were saying with Tulane. So Oklahoma's got to get into the backfield. I think they need to make um, Wells a little bit uncomfortable. I do agree. They need to attempt to take one, one aspect of the game away from this offense. And the truth be told, as you've already mentioned, Oklahoma is well-equipped to take away the run. We're still working on some of these younger players in the secondary to be Island defenders that can go one-on-one -on -one with anybody in the country and limit the productivity of that individual receiver or of the receivers as a group just hasn't happened yet. And there's not a huge sample size to say that it won't or that it will. So needless to say, we have to lean into the strength here and say that is the defensive line and that they will do what we know they're capable of, which is to limit the run game, but also get pressure on the quarterback with the names, Jalen Redman, Isaiah Thomas, and Nick Benito. Fair enough. Uh, what you got for number three? No, number three, man, I got caught in it myself here. I simply want to see this defense. If, we're talking about the game plan. Um, they need to play a complete game, not just a quarter and a half from start to finish. No mental mistakes, no hiccups that occur, no easy scoring uh, opportunities. If WCU is going to score, they're going to need to earn it on Saturday, not be given that. So again, I do want to see this Oklahoma defense and it's not really a game plan. It's more of a hope um, that they play from start to finish a full 15, 15, 15, and 15 minute quarter back to back to back to back to back. Yeah. And I would say that's across the board with the entire team, Rich. I, mm -hmm. I, I see what you're saying with the defense and you know, the, the stories coming out this last week that several of the starters thought that they, they were done for the day, they, yeah. taking their tape off and they had to be retaped to come back in the game in the fourth quarter. All that indicates that the mental where, where you are mentally in this mm -hmm. game and, and they, they checked out. And, and so I think across the board, both offense and defense, you need to see that with this team that they, they stay engaged through the end. And, um, and so that, that's a really good point. And I also want to kind of, sorry, I, now that you've already said number three, I, I just had a thought going back <laughs> to number two, whereas, you know, if, if you do what we've said and you limit the running game and you put them in obvious passing downs on second and third down, 
then really what you're doing is you're giving yourself the chance to kind of test out those defensive backs, what the things that you've worked on this week. And that, that's what they need to do. So they need to win first down. They need to win second down, but put, um, put Western Carolina behind the chains so that these defensive backs do get stretched. And, and that happens to them uh, to, to be able to, you know, say, Hey, I learned it this week. I'm, I'm better. I'm in a, in a better situation than I was last week. So uh, my, my number three is the same as the offense. Again, stay healthy. Um, I, I mean, just, I always worry about games like this, Rich. I, I know there's the, there's the opportunity for any player to get hurt on any, um, on, on any game, but you're already seeing catastrophic injuries across the league. Uh, you know, um, I say league, I guess across college football, Michigan loses a key player. Alabama loses a linebacker. Clemson loses a receiver. You know, it just, things go on and on and on. And, and you just, when you're buying a win, you don't want to lose a player because you bought a win. And so mm-hmm. again, I, I understand that there's things to work on. I understand that you got to have these guys show it on the, on the field that they've learned what they've learned on show that that what they're learning on the chalkboard, they can apply it to the field. I, I get all of that, but then get them out when it's time, get them out and, and get off the field healthy. So you can get ready for the meat of your schedule, starting with Nebraska the next week, who um, I guess I'll go first on the defensive side of the ball. The, the guy that I'm, I'm looking for watching is, is DTL. Yeah. I think I, we saw the, the um, one of our preseason conversations was who's going to emerge as the leader on this defense. And I think we saw that last week, Delaire and Turner yell leading the team with, with 10 tackles, but also just kind of, taking that that vocal role of leadership i want to see him move another phase in that i want to see him continue to lead on the stat category but i also want to see him help out these young guys and from that safety position to to look and and call out motion plays and just kind of help guide the traffic in that defensive secondary and even the linebackers to an extent so dtl's my guy i think he's a key this week i think if you're looking for a strategical advantage you, you still go in the middle with Perry on Winfrey or J, uh, Jalen Redmond, those guys coming up the gut on this, on this catamounts offense. But uh, even bigger than that, looking at the big picture, I want to see DTL uh, continue to lead this defense and to see if it's a, was that a one week thing uh, against Tulane or is that something that's really going to develop where he is the leader of this defense? So I'm, I'm looking at that. For me, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction here. I am going to stay with the secondary, and I'm really looking at DJ Graham. For what we know, uh, Jaden Davis has been capable of, and what he's displayed, even though he's just a junior this season, says every, at least to me, everything that he's put out there says that he should be the starter over DJ Graham. But then DJ Graham comes along with the size, some of the instincts, the athleticism, and has kind of, uh, cemented himself at least in that argument. Uh, I expect DJ Graham just because he fits what Alex Grinch is looking to do with the secondary to trot out there with the ones. DJ Graham, though, I also think because of his newness, um, it the the collegiate ranks in this realm of football will be the one who's tested more often than a guy like a Woody Washington on the opposite side mm-hmm. of the field, Matt. And we've already mentioned Williams, the receiver for WCU and what he's capable of shaking defenders simply because of crisp route 
running and then having the speed to make those individuals pay when they fail to track him down. Needless to say, I think DJ Graham is going to draw that responsibility here and there. And I'm curious to know how he handles it. Can he be that guy as a taller defender, as a taller cornerback who becomes that lockdown defender on that side of the field that Oklahoma and Alex Grinch can count on? Or is Jaden Davis going to overtake him because he is letting the guy like Williams slip behind him? No, that's a good point. Um, give me your bold prediction with the defense. Yeah, bold prediction for me, Matt, is I'm going to say this is a game where Oklahoma limits the opposing offense to 100 yards or less. I know that that is a like huge total? total. Total. I know. I know that's a huge wow. ask. But what we've that's already like talked saying about, you're going to have four offensive guys with 100 yards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I know. Right? Weight. <laughs> the the 100 yards is really going to be benefited because we do. You and I said in agreement that we believe this is an offense that runs the ball mm-hmm. more often than not. It's going to shorten the game. It's going to limit the offensive possessions for WCU, but at the same time, as I expect there to be at least two turnovers in this game produced by this defense as well. And I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibilities. Sure, they got three last week. Two is the standard set by Alex Grinch. It's it's the expectation each and every week if they're going to hit his mark and they're going to help this offense. I do expect Oklahoma to win this one by a bunch. So again, knowing the components that I'm expecting to go into this game, it does set itself up as the one opportunity this season to really limit an opposing offense. I'm just going with that that 100-yard mark because it's quite impressive when it can be done, and it has been done. Okay, fair point. I'm, I'm, uh, that is bold. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. I'm going to go with um, defensive defensive score in this game that's my bold prediction not only does Oklahoma continue the trend of forcing turnovers they turn one of those turnovers into six points by taking it into the end zone so there there's my uh man we're we're um, our, our levels of boldness are different on each side of the ball speaking of boldness it's uh true or false time and I am putting myself at the mercy of Rich now if you listen to pregame postgame last week with Tulane uh, we've doing it a little bit different during the uh, college football season Whereas Rich will take true or false questions both before and after this game. I did true or false questions before and after Tulane. So I'm putting myself at, uh, at the mercy of Mr. Decray. Yeah. Um, these are, are not actually loading up on my computer. So I'm going to have to load them up on my phone. Matt, I, I've got a couple of them cocked and loaded, ready to go. So I'm going to go ahead and throw my first one out at you while I I figure the rest of these out, okay? Um, Number one is what we saw from Spencer Rattler was the two turnovers. I know that a lot of people want to look at that and label that as a major concern for the quarterback moving forward. The truth of the matter is, and I said this last week, is that Oklahoma isn't out of anything. They still have all of their goals intact. Everything is still within reach. But the one thing we didn't really talk about was the individual accolades. So looking at Spencer Rattler, looking at the performance, sure, he barely eclipses the 300 yard mark in that game. But but looking yeah, at what the if performance, I said he wouldn't. It was you. <laughs> you asked me that in true or false, and I said it would happen. No, I, don't I think initially we're said we're I did. Go back to the tape on that. All right, go ahead. I initially said that that wouldn't happen. And then I changed my mind and said, because of the big play capabilities, we didn't see any of the big play capabilities of this offense hey, in week 50 one yards to Marvin Mims. 
Okay, one play. Like I'm talking consistently here, time and time again. Matt, when we look at Spencer Rattler and we look at the performance last week and we look at the two turnovers, true or false, he hurt his Heisman chances in week one. False. Um, look, the Heisman trophy's not won or lost in week one. And so the answer to this question is absolutely false. Um, I do know the Vegas odds, he, he dropped from number one to number two. And, and again, that's going to change throughout the week. Um, Spencer Rattler is very the year. Much, uh, Yeah. Sorry. Throughout the year. Um, Spencer Rattler is very much still in the running for the Heisman trophy. He's still very much one of the front runners for the Heisman trophy. And here's what you got to consider Le- quarterbacks under Lincoln Riley progress as the season goes on they get better week one to week two to week three to week four by the time we hit week seven eight nine ten spencer rattler is going to be humming along as the best quarterback in the country um i do think the heisman trophy is wide open but uh, you know what I, I saw a lot of quarterbacks struggle last week and and that's that's okay because it's it's week one that's when you're supposed to struggle but i you look at the efficiency <laughs> 30 of 39 he he ran for a touchdown he threw for a touchdown he cracked that 300 yard barrier um he's top 25 uh, right now as far as offense in the country so no he it's it's not the, the heisman trophy's not lost but it's also not one it, it moves on from week one to week two. And, and he's going to put up 300 plus yards of offense and three or four touchdowns again this Saturday. And it's, and it's not going to change. I'm just telling you, it's not going to change and say he's not suddenly going to be the front runner again, because you look at it that he did that uh, against Western Carolina. Now, where the first opportunity for major change for Spencer Rattler uh, in this Heisman race is going to be the week after, because that Nebraska game, Big noon kickoff on Fox. You're going to have the Fox uh, broadcast crew doing their morning show from Norman, Oklahoma. A lot of eyeballs are going to be on that because it is Nebraska versus Oklahoma. That's where he really has a chance to see his stock either rise or fall. And it'll be the first real opportunity this season to see that take place. When we look at the second question, Matt, I really feel like I'm giving you some softballs this week. If you want to hit him out of the park, be my guest, but we're going to continue to lob them up. Anyway, one of the situations that, again, I know that these are in hindsight of what took place against Tulane, but what we look, when we look at what took place amongst the receiving group was that Brian Darby was clearly one of the, the bigger and the better surprises of the opening week for the Oklahoma Sooners. He had three catches. What was it? 34 Yards, I'd have to go back and look at that. But because he had this performance, sure, he's taking advantage of some of the other individuals who are out for various reasons. The true or false question comes that this, Brian Darby cemented himself as one of the receivers in this rotation. I'm going to say false at this point because I keep in mind that Drake Stoops was back, is back this week. And and here, here's who we know solidified themselves, and it's Mario Williams. So Drake Stoops coming back and getting reps is going to take away from somebody. And I think Brian Darby is going to be that guy it takes away from. I think Brian Darby, keep in mind, he's a young guy. You know, he's a sophomore, so he, he's a youngster, but he did prove he can play at this level. He, he proved he can be a factor in this offense. But, I, I mean, are you going to take really going to take Brian Darby over Drake Stoops? I'm not. We, what we saw from Mario Williams, kids got he's the real deal. 
You're not going to take away from Marvin Mims. You're not, you're not going to take away from Jaden Hazelwood. The, the question is not about Brian Darby's talent. The question is who, what, what talent do you take off the field to put Brian yeah. Darby on there? And that, I think it's just a matter of, of depth chart. And, um, and again, it's not a knock against the kid. He was one of my pleasant surprises of week one, but I, I don't think he solidified himself. Um, and he goes out and does it again this week against Western Carolina then we can really visit this conversation. But with Drake Stoops coming back at this point, I'm going to say it's false. One of the things we said heading into the season was just how deep this receiving group was. And that if you could suffer a loss after the Theo Weiss news broke, if you could suffer a loss, this was really the position that you had individuals who could step in and fill fill that void or fill that gap on an immediate basis, you didn't need to bring someone along. You didn't need to put a, a, a plug, uh, a stop gap, if you will, type player in there just to tide you over until a guy like Theo Weiss could recover and mm-hmm. step back onto the field. You knew that you had options behind him, which brings me to this. This is a talented offense, Matt. Right. In the opening week of play, three points in the second half, three points. Do, do I need to say that again? No, I three got you whole points in the second half on Saturday, true or false, the offense will score more than three points in the second half. No, that's true. I mean, that's, that's, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's Gabe Burkish's fault. They only had three points because he missed a field goal in the second half. He's, he's the scapegoat. Uh-huh. Get rid of him, kick him off the team. He's not, he's not worth anything. They should have had six. They should have doubled their point output against Tulane in that second half, but uh, Gabe Burkich just didn't want to do that. So I blame him. Uh, no, the you, garbage time. They're going to score more than three points in mm-hmm. garbage time. Uh, just again, it's, it's, you're buying a win. I mean, you're, you're, you're the, these guys for the most, most part, the, the 22 players that Western Carolina puts on the field would be scout team guys for, and again, it's not, it's not a, it's not an insult. All right. It, it's a lower level football. They, they, some of these guys could play. Most of them couldn't on Oklahoma starting 22 and, and they couldn't play on, on the two deep either. So you're going to get garbage time touchdowns that will eclipse that three points uh, in the second half. So this was absolutely true. Oklahoma will score more than three points in the second half. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and borrow one of your questions because I think the situation definitely applies here more than it did against Tulane. Tulane was a little bit iffy for me. And then I'm going to bump that number up by one. And that is this true or false Oklahoma will play four quarterbacks on Saturday. Yeah, so here you go. This is what I said last week. I I said that um, the Western Carolina game is actually the game that a lot of people thought the Tulane game was going to be. If you remember that conversation, I said I didn't think that they would get beyond two quarterbacks. And the truth is they really didn't get beyond one. I know technically Caleb Mm -hmm. Williams played. He had a touchdown, but that was a designed – that wasn't – Exactly. Caleb Williams wasn't in the game because it was – it got – it hit cruise control. This week it hits cruise control. This week I think they get all the way down to Micah Bowens. Uh, so I say, yes, yeah, true. You're going to see four quarterbacks against uh, Western Carolina. And knowing that we expect, we as the fans are already saying this, much like we said last week, was this should be a blowout win. You didn't agree with that statement. I was bought in 100% hook, line, and sinker in thinking that it would be a blowout win against Tulane. And for the first half, it was. So heading into this week, Matt, There's that potential. Once again, we know that the unexpected can happen. I'm not saying that it will happen, but it can happen. So true or false, there will be no mental lapses this week at halftime. 
Uh, no, I'm gonna say that's true, and and here's the reason why: because this was a bad week of practice for this team. It was, yeah. um, you know, the coaches said it, the players said it. This was it was uncomfortable for them uh, in practice this last week, and they don't want to repeat that. They want to show that they've <laughs> learned their lesson, so they will not mentally be checking out. You will not have players taking their tape off on the sidelines unless the coach comes and says, "Okay, you're done." take the tape off. So I think, I think we see a more complete game from Oklahoma this weekend. I, I think we see them mentally locked in. And honestly, I think rich, they're just going to, we're going to see them abuse Western Carolina for the first 15 to 25 minutes of this game before they start working on some just set things that they, that Lincoln Riley is going to have on his clipboard. This will be a different approach to this game. This will be a different outcome in this game. And it's because the mentality of this game will be through 60 minutes. The last question then I've got for you is just game specific here. And it's because we focus so much on the defensive line and we focus on the talent that exists there. And we're even tying in for me, at least tying in the rush linebacker position. This is a team that's very capable of making things happen in the backfield and more specifically getting to the quarterbacks So true or false. This is a game where Oklahoma will set a school record in sacks, single game school record. No, I'm going to say that's false. And and here's the reason why, because I, I think number one, you've got a quarterback in Rogan Wells who can, who can adapt under pressure and scramble and he can turn a potential sack into an even gain or maybe a one yard gain. Uh, the second thing is this offensive line they're again, they're going to be overpowered, but they only gave up one sack last week uh, in their season opener. So I, I don't think you get to that level of, of sack yardage or the number of sacks. Um, I do think that you see him take abuse. We, we, we learned last week that, um, that this defense can punish a quarterback. And, um, and so I think you're going to see, I think Rogan Wells is looking at that tape and, and seeing those, those blows uh, that were delivered last week to, to the quarterback. And, and again, continue to give Michael, Michael Pratt credit for just being tough as nails against this Oklahoma defense. But I'm, I'm going to say false. I, I don't think they set a record for sacks. So that's true or false. Uh, Rich will have another set of questions uh, for me after the game, uh, after Oklahoma's 1,000 to three defeat of Western Carolina on when we do our podcast on Sunday. Rich, let's move into some Big 12 talk as the conference really gets set to have another, in my opinion, decent weekend. Uh, Week one, the Big 12 went nine and one. I think that will be difficult to duplicate. But I do think the Big 12 is going to be above 500 this coming weekend. Now, you you brought up a point that you want to do something a little bit different when we go through the Big 12 rundown. So uh, you want us to give a, um, a descriptive uh, phrase for each team. Is that correct? That is correct. So tell me, let's let's start with Kansas. I'm going <laughs> to let you go first. I'm going to let you set the standard here. Kansas gets things started again for the Big 12 mm-hmm. on Friday night. They they go to Conway, South Carolina to play Coastal Carolina. This is the third year in a row that they've played Coastal Carolina, number 17 in the country. They're 0-2 against Coastal Carolina in Lawrence. They go uh, to, like I said, Conway to play this team. They're a 26-point underdog, 26-and-a-half. Tell me about Kansas. Matt, I, I was going to, with the idea, let, let me explain it, okay? So I was going to use three words to describe each of the programs, and those three words didn't necessarily pertain to this season, uh, but definitely pertain to the program and were centered around football. Okay. Uh, so when we talk about Kansas and summing them up in three words, it's really easy for me. 
a basketball school. <laughs> okay. It's, it's the truth. Is it not? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's true because I mean, until, and Bill self looks untouchable by the way. Um, so no, I, I, I'll take that. I'm going to say Kansas is uh, uh, in trouble. That's only two words. Kansas, can I take out the word is? Kansas in yeah. trouble. Um, there you go. And so uh, because they they kind of pounded their chest, they stormed the field getting that week one win, but they're, they're going into the hornet's nest this week. Coastal Carolina has beaten them two years in a row, and, uh, and Coastal Carolina is – this is an easy cover for me, in, in my opinion. Um, 26 and a half. If I was laying some dimes down uh, this weekend on college sports, um, this would be one of the ones I, places I would do that. I would um, I would take both Coastal Carolina, 26 and a half, and I, the over-under is 52. So that's that's where I would, uh, I, I would go on the over there as well. Saturday morning, Oklahoma State kicks off the Big 12 slate with a by hosting the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. A lot of people put a stock into Tulsa losing their week one uh, opener. And I don't think there's been enough conversation about Oklahoma State struggling heavily against Missouri State. Now, Oklahoma State's going to say, well, we didn't have Spencer Sanders. Well, Spencer Sanders isn't going to fix that running attack, that how inept their both running backs were for Oklahoma State. The Cowboys averaging less than two yards per carry. Tulsa also missing players in week one due to suspension that stems back from an incident in their bowl season. So my three words for Oklahoma state, rich are this. Um, I don't know. How's that? I don't, I don't know <laughs> if this is Mike Gundy's last year. I, I don't know if Shane Illingworth is the better of the two quarterbacks between him and Spencer Sanders. I don't know if they can beat Tulsa. They're 13 point favorites. I do know this. I would take Tulsa and those 13 points uh, in this game. And, and th- what it comes down to for me is um, here's what I know. I know this is the third year Spencer Sanders has been the quarterback for this football team. And it's the third year that he's not been able to play the entire season due to something. Uh, it was COVID protocol last week, the years before it's been injury. Uh, but yeah, I, I, here's what I know. I'm taking Tulsa plus 13 and I'm saying, I don't know what Oklahoma state's going to be like this year. I'm definitely in the same boat of saying, I don't know as a three words, but if I had to pick something that was just a little bit different um, than what you're saying, it would really center around the quarterback situation uh, for a lot of the reasons that you've already mentioned. And those three words were, were, would be pick a quarterback when it's come to Mike Gundy, when it's come to here in these past couple of seasons, I don't really think he's been hundred percent sold on a quarterback and he hasn't bought in while Spencer Sanders is extremely talented is a guy who is far more athletic than Shane Illingworth. Illingworth seems to be the better thrower or the more mm-hmm. consistent thrower of the two. He just doesn't present that X factor that Spencer Sanders does. And so it's easy to find yourself getting caught between those two. I think this will be a really good matchup on Saturday. It's probably the second highest rated game for me. If I were to rank the games from start to finish, it would be the second most interesting game of the big 12 this week. That's a, that's a good point for me. It's third most. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you when we get to it, number two and number one, but that is a good point. And because I do think this will be a close game. Um, but uh, as far as ranking the games of the big 12, I, I, that's, a, that's a great topic. 
and uh, I would put it at three. I'm curious. You said it's two. So when we get mm-hmm. to, I think I know who your number one is going to be. It's probably going to equal my number one. Um, let's move on <laughs> to the afternoon games. Uh, Cal at TCU. Horn Frogs with a, a blowout win. A win? Uh, a, we win. <laughs> um, a blowout win uh, in week one over Duquesne. Now they get to host Cal, who lost to Nevada. TCU 11 half point favorites over under on this is 48. Give me your, uh, give me your description of TCU. Yeah. Um, when I'm looking at TCU and I'm looking at what they're doing, I'm looking at it from a conference standpoint, Matt. So the three words I use are the comeback kid. TCU did not have the greatest of outings last year. And I know that a lot of that centered around the health at the quarterback position, not being able to figure some things out running back, as well, needless to say, they started to shore up some of those things towards the end of the season. And we know that Gary Patterson is is one of the defensive gurus, one of the premier defensive minded individuals here in the Big 12, if not in the country. And so what we look at is this idea that now they've got this quarterback situation that's that's kind of starting to roll for them. They've started to figure things out at the running back position. And I legitimately think that TCU can play the role of a spoiler. I'm not saying that they're going to win the conference, but I think that they can string together a few wins that will definitely muddy up the waters of who's at the top and who's in the middle of this conference, who's an actual challenger and who's a pretender in this conference. Cause again, they are going to get some wins that people just don't expect them to, to, to claim. No, that's TCU. My three words are better than expected. And I know it was Duquesne. I know it was, it's a, it's a game that they should have rolled and they did. They only gave up three points on the defensive side of the ball, scored 45 points um, altogether. Um, I, I, they're, they're better than expected. I think, I think they get to prove that this week against a Cal team that kind of limps in to Fort Worth, Texas. I, I think if I, again, my, my prediction here, I'm, I would take TCU and the 11 and a half points. I think I would take the, the over-unders were spot on at 48. I think I would just, if I had to pick on the over-under, I would, I would pick the over, but this is a team that I had put them in the middle of the pack in the big 12. I still think they're in the middle pack of the big 12, but they're better than I expected them to be after week one with the understanding that it was only a Duquesne that they were playing. Um, Let's go to the afternoon, continuing the afternoon. Iowa state. This is to, in my opinion, rich, you can back me up or you can disagree. This is the big game in the big 12. This week, top 10 matchup, number 10, Iowa at number nine, Iowa state. Iowa very much looked the part of a top 10 team last week in their opener against Indiana. Iowa State very much did not look the part of a top 10 team um, against, I was it Northern Iowa or Iowa Wesleyan or whoever they played. The point of the matter is here, Iowa State, here's my three words, better be prepared. Uh, because I was coming, this is a, a rivalry game. It's a, you know, it's an early season rivalry game and they better be prepared because the Hawkeyes are coming to, to Ames after not getting to play this game last year and, and they're coming to play. And um, it's, it, there's, there's no time for, for Iowa state just to kind of, you know, make mistakes and, you know, Brock Purdy is not going to throw the ball away. Uh, the, the way the Indiana quarterback did against the Cyclones. And I know Charlie Kohler didn't play last week for Iowa State. He's expected to play this week, but the running game has to be better. Uh, everything has to be better for Iowa State or they're, they're sitting at one and one at the end of the day. Yeah, when it comes to Iowa State, for me, uh, the three words are still a contender 
Iowa nice. State did not nice. put their best foot forward. And a lot of people want to count them out because of the win that they claimed in week one and, and the fact that it was not a quality opponent. I look at Iowa State and I still see, number one, they have the three-headed monster that exists on the offensive side of the ball, but they're playing defensively sound. I honestly think week one for them was their trap game. It was the game that they were looking ahead to. It was the game that's a rivalry and it's right up front in the non-conference portion of the schedule. But not only that, it's going to be between two ranked opponents. It's an opportunity for Iowa State, not just to say we're a contender in the Big 12, but also to say we're a contender on the national level. And we came this year to spoil the Oklahoma Sooners uh, um, bid for another consecutive Big 12 championship. If Iowa State plays like we think they can, Matt, they are going to be a handful, and that's for any team that they come up against this year. Yeah, so Iowa State four-and-a-half-point uh, favorites, over-unders 46, 16 points uh, at home in your season opener. Don't give me a lot of confidence in the Cyclones in this four-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I think I think this is a game that comes down to a field goal, honestly, Rich. And so when I, th- when I think about a field goal game, I don't want to say the team's going to cover more than three points. And so if, if, if I'm picking this game right now, Number one, I'm taking the the under on that 46 points, and then I'm going to say that uh, it's a it's a field goal game. So that means I'm taking Iowa in four and a half points and saying Iowa State will not cover four and a half. What do you think on that? Um, it is two quality opponents, and if these two teams play to the caliber that they're capable of, I'm going to agree with you that this is going to be under that three and a half point spread at the moment. One team <laughs> clearly is going to win, but I think it's going to be by, by one to three points. Okay. Long Island university at West Virginia, no point spreads, no over unders, uh, West Virginia got, they got to win. So, uh, give me your description here. Yeah, the description I'm going with now with West Virginia is curb your enthusiasm. Oh, wow. uh, when we look at when we look at West Virginia, I I see that they suffered a loss to Maryland in week one. It wasn't something that was unpredictable. You could see that one producing a loss for West Virginia, and that's exactly what happened. But when we look at the offensive line and a lot of the struggles that West Virginia had there. When we look at the fact that there was only one individual who carried the ball and that was Letty Brown out of the backfield Uh ran for 69 yards. You look at the four turnovers and not, not showcasing the ability to gain any turnovers. It was a minus four turnover margin for West Virginia on Saturday. Things are going to be rough. And while we look at West Virginia and we say that this should be a win for them and it should be a big win, I think when they step back up into uh, power five play that they're once again going to have these expectations that are lofty. Um, and a lot of it, I think, is due to the unorthodox defense that West Virginia has traditionally played. But needless to say, it's time to begin to curb our, our enthusiasm with West Virginia because they're not as good as I thought they were going to be. I didn't have high expectations for West Virginia, but my, my three words are need to win. Um, and, and because I didn't have high expectations of West Virginia, this is a game, like you said, you lose to Maryland in week one, you, you got to win. When, when this, they're buying a win. They're doing exactly what Oklahoma's doing with mm-hmm. Western Carolina. And you got to take advantage of that. So you, you need to win this game. I think they do win this game, but uh, that's a very good curb. Your enthusiasm is, uh, is, um, is, is a good phrase. I think that's, that's definitely uh, worth keeping there. Um, 
same time as Oklahoma and Western Carolina is my number two game of the week in the Big 12, which is Texas, number 15, Texas at Arkansas. Longhorn seven-point favorites over under 56 and a half. And um, my, my three words description here for Texas is better watch out because this is an old Southwest Conference rivalry. Um, Arkansas won 38 to 17 last week to start their season. Texas is the better team coming in, in my opinion. But I think I think Texas is in for a dogfight. And if I'm picking spreads here, which clearly I'm I'm doing that here, um, I'm I'm taking Arkansas, getting seven points, and I'm definitely taking the over at 56 and a half because I think there's questions both of these defenses. I think Texas is going to rely heavily on Beyond Robinson. And I think Arkansas is going to try to shut that down and make Hudson cards, see what he can do. He is 14 to 21 last week, 224 yards. Um, but I think this is, this is going to be a battle. I think it's going to be a fun game and, um, and Texas better watch out. For Texas, Matt, my, my three words, I'm saying this jokingly, but I know that there is just, it, it appears to be a hint of truth to it and it's texas is back (laughs) when we look at texas they did get a win over a ranked opponent in week one i know that those expectations and what this team of is capable of from the fans perspective is beginning to soar and reach um unrivaled levels as what we saw during the sam ellinger years and i knew that that was an experienced quarterback i knew that that was a quarterback with a level of tenacity not seen often from that position, but it was also uh, it was a guy who you know could, could lead Texas to a few wins that they may not have picked up without him on the field. Now it's a complete, completely new coaching staff. The starting quarterback is being broken in, and you're right. Robinson is the feature of this offense, and when we look at what they're going to do, I'm not saying that Arkansas is going to shut them down, but Arkansas is going to want to throw the ball and Texas is going to want to run it. And I think that's going to put pressure on Texas to begin to throw the ball because it is, it's really the offense versus the offense for me. And we were looking at Arkansas and saying that they had possibly the best wide receiver group heading into 2021. Granted, they lose Mike Woods as he transfers to the university of Oklahoma, but needless to say, it's still a very talented group with a lot of potential once you can get the ball to them. So Texas, uh, this secondary is going to be tested. They're going to try to slow the game down by running the ball. I I don't know which direction this one swings in, but I'm going to give it to Texas for now because Oklahoma, uh, I I know that (laughs) we don't like to admit it, but when Texas comes into the Red River rivalry as a ranked team, all eyeballs are on the level of competition is ratcheted up, and it seems to be this turning point for Oklahoma, at least it was for Spencer Rattler last year. So once again, I'm hoping that that holds true. Texas gets the win and quote unquote, Texas is back. So uh, the final three games, we're going to give obviously our score predictions for Oklahoma and Western Carolina to close out the podcast, but the the final three games on the big 12 slate, all dogs, uh, Texas Southern is at Baylor. Southern Illinois is at Kansas state. Stephen F. Austin is at Texas tech. All three of those games should be wins for the big 12 as the big 12 officially goes into what I call cupcake weekend uh, across the conference. Um, So we're going to say wins for Baylor wins for Kansas state wins for Texas tech. So we're just going to give our descriptive words for Baylor and you, uh, I think it's your turn to go first. Uh, I went, I don't, I don't know anymore. Um, Baylor is the one that's, that was difficult for me coming up with some kind of a phrase for them. In fact, I, I haven't settled on anything if I'm being completely open and honest, but I, I want to say this about Baylor in three words. 
is that back to normal. Um, Baylor, for the longest time, was one of the cellar dwellers here in the Big 12. I know that a lot has changed there. I know that the Art Bryles era is long gone, and Baylor's attempting to move forward. Matt Rule did an excellent job. Once again, he's long gone, and so I think it's just back to routine for Baylor. We're going to see them at the bottom of the heap for, for some years to come. Yeah, we're very close on this because uh, mine is still the same, meaning I, I went back and looked at some film from mm -hmm. this game last week with Baylor's season opener, and we we kind of predicted that to be a struggle for the Bears, and it, and it was. I think this is a little bit easier of a win for them, but this is still the same Baylor team. They, they have a lot of struggles, and I haven't seen anything change uh, with them. Now, Kansas State scared to death. Those are my three words, Rich, because they went out and just took Stanford behind the woodshed down in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and um, Oklahoma's got to go to Manhattan. This, and I've been saying for a long time, you got Skylar Thompson, you got Deuce Vaughn. Uh, this team scares me. And after seeing what they did to Stanford, now I know Oklahoma's on a different level than Stanford, but Kansas State's going to be a player in the Big 12, Rich. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And they scare me to death. Yeah, I'm absolutely on board with that. I was with Kansas State. My three words were dark horse candidate, even though I think dark horse is one word. Don't, don't, don't at me <laughs> uh, as Perry. people were saying at one point in time. <laughs> uh, but, but when you look at Kansas State, they have all the makings of a team that's capable of, of running some teams off the field offensively. And again, it's because of the dual threat nature at the quarterback position and what you've mentioned in Skylar Thompson, when he's hitting receivers on a consistent basis, it's an extremely dangerous team. We know that they always play blue collar style of football with a chip on their shoulder. So they're going to set the tone in terms of physicality. And if you can't match them on the field, they will run all over you with Deuce Vaughn. Needless to say, this is a team that's capable, like I said, with TCU, it's capable of beating some mm -hmm. of the, the top programs on any given day. Will it shake out that way? It's yet to be seen, but they're a very dangerous team and they're a team to keep your eye on for sure. All right, uh, Texas Tech, give it to me. Texas Tech for me um, is largely because of the coaching situation, but it's in a in the hot seat. Uh, when we look at Texas yeah. Tech, I, I think you could also apply needs to win because this is a team that has been struggling and I think they know the dangers of facing an FCS opponent. Stephen F. Austin, I think, is going to give the Red Raiders all that they can handle. And when we look, what was it? Uh, I'm not even going to comment on that, so never mind. But when we look at the Red Raiders and we look at Stephen F. Austin, if Stephen F. Austin <laughs> beats them, I think Matt Wells is basically done. I don't know that they get rid of him middle of the season, but I do think they get rid of him at the end of mm -hmm. the season. This is one of those games that Texas Tech has to win. They have to prove that they are capable of competing and not just necessarily competing with FCS opponents. So the verdict is still out on what's going to happen with Matt Wells, but we know he's in the hot seat. And so when I look at them as a program, that's the first thing that comes to mind. See, I, I'm, I'm opposite of you here, Rich. I have sigh of relief because I think Matt Wells is on the hot seat, but after they win uh, last week against Houston, that, you know, that they're down 14, nothing, you come back and you just throttle the Cougars in Houston. I think Matt Wells is breathing a sigh of relief because he's got Stephen F. Austin coming in. And I think the Red Raiders win this game by multiple touchdowns. And so it really kind of allows him for the very first time in his tenure to build some early momentum. And so 
Sigh of relief is what I've got here uh, for uh, Texas Tech and Matt Wells. We're on the opposite end of the spectrum there. All right, here we go. Oklahoma, 6 o'clock kickoff. It is pay-per-view. Western Carolina, the Sooners, number four in the nation. Uh, No point spreads, no over-unders, just straight up. Oklahoma's going to win this game. The question is, by how much? Here's my description of the Sooners, Richard. Still the king. Still the king. This is still the best team in the Big 12. I understand that they got off to a rough start, but who didn't? Um, the challenger has not yet emerged. It could be Texas. It could be Kansas State. It could be Iowa State. We don't know yet, but what we do know is that Oklahoma is still the king. I've got the Sooners rolling big, 54-14 in a final here, uh, and uh, just your average everyday 40-point blowout win. Yeah, I was going to go with a very similar um, and borrow a, a song title from Queen and saying we are the champions. And right. The reason being is when we look at Oklahoma, it's not like they haven't been in this position before. They've had some some bumpy or rocky starts to the season in the past. In fact, if you want to go and look at some of the national championship runs that Oklahoma has had, there were these hurdles that Oklahoma barely cleared in route to those national championships to those national titles, to hoisting the trophy. Again, this is nothing new for this program. In fact, we can look at just last year and say the exact same thing. When Oklahoma dropped two games, not just won them by by a hair, but dropped two games and still came out in the end as the Big 12 uh, champion. So my uh, faith in this program, my faith in this coaching staff is unwavering at this point, despite new faces being on the field, Oklahoma will reign supreme until someone can knock them down a notch and simply put, it doesn't happen this week. All right. Give me a score prediction for Saturday. My, my score prediction, Matt, I've been saying all along, I think this is going to be close right around a, a 50 point win. So if Oklahoma scores uh, 49 points more than WCU does. I would be happy with that. And I'm actually going to go with a score of 10 for WCU to Oklahoma's 56. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us at the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us every day, heartland-sports.com, pregame, postgame. During the game, you were on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Uh, please subscribe to the Sooner Nation podcast anywhere podcasts are found. We will be there. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your football. We'll be back Sunday night to recap Oklahoma, Western Carolina. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.